Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Do be sure that you have also signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter. It will ensure that you stay in the know and get further insights into the podcast, not to mention insider stuff about me and Now Hear This Incorporated, including some exclusives. So be sure that you're on the list to receive all the content published in there every Wednesday sent straight to your email inbox. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York, my guest is a recording artist, multi-instrumentalist, and record producer who is also the founder and owner of the global company ECR Music Group. He is also an activist with I Respect Music, and is finishing up his own next recording project. He was the guest on episode 208 of this show, and in the three-plus years since then, there has been about 80,000 miles of touring and about 15 records with as many artists. Billboard magazine said he has, quote, a voice that was made to be heard on the radio, inspired songwriting and passionate performances, end quote. You've been hearing a song of his called Lately. Welcome back to Now Hear This Entertainment, Blake Morgan. Great to be here, Bruce. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. I'm happy to have you back and catch up on everything that you've been up to since you were last on the show. But let's start first by having you tell the audience all about the song that was just playing called Lately. Sure. Well, that is the first song on the first record I made, my first record. And uh, uh, it has another distinction for me forever, which is that it's the first song of mine I ever heard uh, on the radio. Mm. So I uh, I was, uh, you know, which is a an illustrious and uh, sacred moment for any recording <laughs> artist when you're driving up to a radio station to do some promos and uh, you and the band in the in the car decide to turn on the, the radio station that you're about to visit. And uh, lo and behold, the your song is playing wow. on the radio, wow. just like you always dreamed. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, it was a, it was a really special moment. I'll, I'll certainly never forget. Uh, I'll also remember that the band and the driver in the van were freaking out that we were on the radio and uh, they were hooting and hollering and being very loud. And I, of course, was actually asking them all to be quiet because I wanted to hear how it sounded on the radio. The producer <laughs> and it was like, the low end all right? Is it, is it too compressed on the radio? How's the vocal? Is it, is it, is it reading? Is it doing? So, uh, you know, my, my multifaceted uh, brain was already at work then, but everybody else in the car was just freaking out. So still a magical moment though. And since I was talking over it during the intro and the audience couldn't hear the lyrics, just talk about what the song is actually about. Yeah, you know, that song was really about me wondering whether or not the things that I wanted to have happen in my musical life were ever going to happen. Wow. And uh, and so it's it's fitting that that song winds up on the radio and is the first one I hear of mine. But... Um, it's uh, that, that's another thing that makes that particular song fond. Uh, I have fond feelings for it. Um, one's songs are one's kids as a songwriter, and I have uh, I have special 
I have a special love for that song because of that, because it was the songwriter was really wondering whether or not um, mm. uh, things were going to come together and how they were going to come together. And uh, so it's got a special place for me. Yeah, what tremendous irony that the song brings up those questions and then there you are celebrating it being the first song of yours that you hear on the radio amidst your bandmates yelling and cheering and you trying to tell them to quiet down but it's still oh, totally still a hallmark moment nonetheless absolutely and the poetry of that moment was not lost on me it was lost on my band but that's okay it's not their poetry they don't have to worry about that They're allowed to think, okay. <laughs> good stuff good stuff well for the audience i'm so so grateful to everyone who listens to now hear this entertainment every week among other reasons is because I know that there are so, so many other podcasts out there to choose from. For example, there's one in particular that it has been a little bit since I talked about, and it's fitting that this guest that I'm talking to right now, Blake Morgan, is up in New York because the podcast I'm referring to is from a man in that neck of the woods, that part of the country, who has had what you might call a most varied career as a composer and record producer. His name is Peter Link. Twice nominated for a Tony Award on Broadway and with a million-selling record to his credit and winner of the New York Theatre Critics Drama Desk Award, Peter Link has seen great success in film scoring, Broadway musicals, pop music, gospel, television, and he's even written ballets for the Joffrey Ballet. Now his podcast, Scattershot Symphony, is making a splash on the global stage with downloads in more than 50 countries, listeners all the way from Manhattan to L.A. and Montreal to Mogadishu can hear Peter share his life's work through a series of musical arrangements and anecdotes that inspired the music. The podcast explores topics like romance in the episode Songs of Love and Heartbreak or the influence that gospel music had on him in the episode titled The Gospel Truth. Sounds fun, right? That's Scattershot Symphony, the music of Peter Link. Look for it on most podcast platforms. Blake, in order to set up my next question, let's refresh the audience on your long run at Rockwood Music Hall. Sure. Uh, Rockwood Music Hall is a beautiful, elite, elegant venue here in New York. And it's really become, like I think, a load-bearing wall for independent music uh, in, in New York City. Um, it's got three stages, and uh, one of them is uh, downstairs in this beautiful jewel of a theater. Um, and uh, I've had a residency there for the past five years, and I've been fortunate uh, that uh, all of the shows during the run have sold out. Mm. So um, it's, been a, it's been an incredible run, and it's been an incredible um, driving force in my career uh, over these over these years, not including the last year um, uh, with the pandemic. But prior to that, these shows at Rockwood have been an opportunity for me to try new material and bring back songs like Lately that I hadn't played for a while. Mm. Um, and maybe most importantly, a chance for me to really do kind of a storytelling show where I, I play music and I tell stories and I bring up special guests, um, friends of mine, and wonderful singer-songwriters and artists um, like Duncan Sheik and Josh Dion and Chris Barron and Michael Lenhard and Tracy Bonham and folks like this who come up and then we do these unique collaborations on stage. And uh, it was really something I started um, doing sort of for myself. And then it really took off in a way I hadn't expected 
and it's kind of changed some things for me in my career. It was it, it's fueled all this touring that I've been doing as well. So it's uh, it's it's really just kind of a, a fantasy, a dream come true to have this long run, um, and the run is going to be starting up again in the fall. And I love the expression that you used. It's the load-bearing wall for independent artists because for those of you listening who aren't familiar, Rockwood Music Hall is very much one of those vaunted venues that is kind of a step on the ladder as you're going up and you say, oh my gosh, you played at Rockwood Music Hall? So there's nothing wrong with playing at your neighborhood bar or wherever will have you, but when you're starting to get to the likes of Rockwood Music Hall, Blake, I think you would say it's safe to assume that one has arrived, yes? Uh, it certainly has always felt that way to me. I mean, there's really, you know, th- there really isn't another place like Rockwood in, in New York or maybe anywhere in the country um, and it's it's a place where you know they're they're so committed to art and music there. Um, it is a place where an emerging artist can can get a late set in a small room and and start putting their career together. And it's also a place where you know established stars are going to do a, a secret show or a, a short advanced show, and all of a sudden that night they're playing there, mm. and everybody freaks out and, and rushes down. So it's really it, it's a wonderful kind of amalgam of of talent. Um, but the driving force at the venue is that uh, Ken Rockwood, who, who founded the place, you know, he's always just cared about music first, and then he's cared about it second, and he's cared about it third, <laughs> and artists and music lovers have responded. That's funny, because I thought you were going to say he cared about music first, and the business aspect second, and the such and such third and fourth, and so on. And so that gives the audience a real good idea of how important the music part of the title Rockwood Music Hall is to him. Absolutely, and you know, caring about music and 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 how um, to build a venue that's going to serve the community and serve the artists playing there and serve the the, the music lovers who are going to be returning to the venue. That's a pretty good business plan, and so that's that's really what he did. He built it with that in mind, step by step, and now it's this three stage conglomeration of of uh, of, of musical performance and stage, and uh, it, it's just a, it's just a, a really wonderful thing for New York. And for the audience, I think you can hear the great respect that Blake has for Rockwood Music Hall. And Blake, I think you demonstrated that with what you did during the pandemic at a time when a lot of artists either shut down altogether or some of them simply jumped on an Instagram Live or maybe did some kind of Facebook Live or something from their couch in their apartment in front of their computer. Explain to the audience what I'm referring to that you did. Yeah, Rockwood and I uh, organized a global live stream event um, from their stage with a crew and lights and uh, multi-camera high-def shoot um, to, to try to bring my show that I do here uh, to the folks around the country and actually around the world. We had people tuning in all over the you know all, from all over the globe. Um, but we really want to put a high test show together with production value that would sound great, uh, that wouldn't be somebody just sitting in front of their laptop. Um, and the response to it from people was really moving to me because not only did we have a big audience that night, but it felt like we had a thirsty audience. We had an audience who was really thirsty for that kind of a performance. And, um, it was also an opportunity for folks who have seen me on the road over the past few years to connect with each other. Um, you had people in London and Portland, Oregon, and 
Amarillo, Texas and Sweden all tuning in. Wow. And there was this chat box on the side of the, the window that, you know, you, you bought your ticket and you watched me on the left and on the right, there was this little chat box where people could actually talk to each other during the show. And I don't like people talking to each other during my show, but <laughs> this was okay because they weren't, you know, disturbing other folks and they weren't disturbing me on stage. So it was actually really lovely to see people interacting with each other because I think um, in, the midst, in the midst of real tragedy over the last year, um, uh, there's also been a, a level of disconnection that I think uh, most, if, if not all of us, have felt, a disconnection from each other. And it was a powerful night, um, that, the night of that live stream, because it, it just felt like people actually were reconnecting through the show. And as an artist, that's a, that's a, that's a really special it's a really special feeling. Yeah, I love the way that you were able to unite people that otherwise wouldn't have found each other because here they were saying, well, we're all dealing with the pandemic. It's not exclusive to one city, one state, one province, one country. We all are locked inside and we all happen to love Blake Morgan's music. So now we can come together and kind of exhale and give ourselves permission to have fun and have a enjoyable night despite the fact that there's this worldwide pandemic going on around us exactly and and just for you know for an hour and a half just to relax and you know people set up little sort of you know concert spaces in their homes uh they threw it up on their big tv and made a couple martinis and lit some candles and actually just felt like they were out for a night which back you know last september when i did the show was was just not something that was that was possible for people. So it, it brought people together who knew each other through my music or um, who would normally have come to a show of mine together. It gave them the opportunity to do that. And it gave me the opportunity to try to bring those folks together. And then also just to do my show um, and and to talk about, as you know, as I mentioned, I, I, I do a lot of storytelling in the show and, and to talk about the pandemic and to talk about what we've lost and what we might find through this emergency. And so it was it was an emotional night. And once again, it was Rockwood who put a roof over um, that idea and, and gave us a, a, a stage under my feet to, to be able to pull it off. Okay, but from the artist's perspective, though, as nice as it was that all the fans were, were able to unite like that and you were able to go and do it from a storied venue, what did it feel like to stand on a stage that you had played to sold out crowds for show after show after show, year after year, and all of a sudden there's nobody in there and you can't really get that same feeling as you're standing on stage when you hear their applause or you kind of feel them absorbing the message that you're speaking to them from the stage? Right. Well, you know, I've, I've talked to uh, peers of mine who've done live streams and they've been really freaked out about about doing them with no audience interaction no feedback no applause or you know doing it from an empty room and I, I have to admit it didn't phase me at all mm. um, it was you know I, I think I think also with with live streams people people maybe forget that it's not a concert it's a TV show and I've done TV shows. And so there isn't, whether there's a live studio audience or not, you're really in a zone as a performer pulling off a television show. And that's what this live stream was. So that was, that was part of it. But the other part of it is honestly from the stage, you know, you can't see the audience anyway. You can see the first couple rows and then it's just <laughs> a large, you know, charcoaly dark blur out there. And you can definitely hear them. Um, 
but you know, it, it really didn't phase me at all. And there was a there was an intimacy and a and a power to doing the show that was really special. And we actually did something else during the show or for the show that I hadn't expected. We did have a multi-camera shoot, and it was recorded in, in uh, or not recorded, but it, it was broadcast in, in high-def audio. Mm-hmm. So I was going through their system, but because it it felt more powerful and more intimate, I actually did the show without any of the mains on or any monitors. So I just did wow. it live in the room. Wow! Um, and and my show is I, I I do perform with my band, but that show and the shows at Rockwood for the most part are me performing solo, either singing and playing electric guitar or singing and playing piano. So I just did that show and um, I had my guitar amp plugged in over here and I had my piano over here. And although I sang into a microphone, I just sang into the open air mm-hmm. and the, the natural, you know, reverberations of the room and just the feeling of being in that room like that felt natural to me as opposed to having these, you know, having the big mains on and, wow. and all of that. So that, that was an extra level of, of special um, uh, to it. And, and uh, I'll remember that as well. I wonder, was that something that you thought of well before the day of the show? Or was it, I got there and we were going through sound check and I thought, hey guys, let's try something. Yeah, it was sound check. It was actually sound check. First it was, let's try it with everything on. Wow, that's really loud. Cause you know, there are no bodies to sort of soak it up. So yeah. it's very echoey and loud. And then, you know, then we pulled the monitors and I was just singing through the mains and that also felt, it just felt a little artificial. And so we actually cut the mains for a second and I just tried singing that way. And, you know, it, it, it felt the most natural and the most mm. unencumbered. And so it, I just felt more comfortable that way. And, um, you know, like anything, like any kind of performance, it's all just really about what, what makes you feel comfortable. So it, it, it worked great. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that we've talked about the long run of sold out shows that you had at Rockwood and this live stream that you did from there, what about present day and say the rest of 2021? What are you planning in terms of live shows, be they at Rockwood or perhaps elsewhere in New York or even other parts of the U.S.? Because I'm I'm guessing that international travel restrictions that are still in place would force you to just look at domestic shows right now, by the way. Well, I'm actually going to be doing both in the fall. I, I do have an overseas trip. Um, wow. It's, uh, so, you know, following this year of, of no uh, live performance in person, that is, um, I've got a lot coming up. I, I, my Rockwood run starts September 23rd, and that's going to run through May 19th. Wow. And then uh, after the season premiere, I'm, I'm headed to Helsinki uh, for about 10 days to do um, some television and some media in advance of a big show uh, for an artist named Yanata, who's on my label and whose new record I just produced. It just came out. And um, so I'm performing in her band and music directing um, for a big show in Helsinki. And then I fly back and I kind of, you know, I don't know, I quickly throw things in the laundry and splash some water <laughs> on my face and turn around. And then I head out to the West Coast for uh, a five-city tour alongside my dear friend David Poe, uh, and and Paul Freeman's going to be opening up mm. for us as well. So, and then I and then I come back and I perform with Yanitsa in New York, and then I do my November Rockwood show. So mm, it's fantastic. It's, um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, so let's let's back up and do some housekeeping here. So for openers, you say September 23rd will be your first Rockwood show, and then it runs through May of next year. That's right. So how often are these shows at Rockwood? 
I do them every eight weeks. Okay. So it's a it's a longstanding residency, but it it's been really fun. Uh, the the kind of schedule that we hold is each one of these shows is a real event, and uh, again, I, you know, I, I mentioned that I I'll, I'll bring in a special guest and and we'll create a different show with the two of us playing each other's music together. Um, I'll there there've been all kinds of surprises and. And things that I bring to every show, so each one really feels like an event, and because they're spaced out a little bit, not too much, but a little bit, um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that folks haven't gotten tired of me or my show here because they're each really unique and they're special, and there aren't too many of them, um, but they're still they're still enough that give people a, you know a chance to to come to several of the shows. Uh, each season. So to be clear, when it's once every eight weeks, when it is time for one of those every eight weeks, it's one show, it's one night only. It's one night only. Okay. Right. Okay. And then when you go to the West Coast, uh, where specifically will those shows be? So we are going to start in Seattle. Um, this is in October. Uh, and we're going to do Seattle and then Portland and then Santa Rosa and San Francisco, and then we'll finish up the tour in Los Angeles at Hotel Cafe. Okay, and I think you said that then you come back to New York to perform with Yanitza. Now, what venue will that be at? That's also going to be at Rockwood. Okay. Um, that's going to okay. be at a different stage, stage two, Okay. Um, and uh, and that'll be a full band show. Uh, and and that's you know it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to kind of. Um, slide into that in the midst of all the stuff that I'm doing um, for myself as a recording artist. It's one of the things I do is I, I shepherd and, and work with the artists on my label and here in the recording studio uh, where I'm talking to you from today. Uh, so, you know, s sliding into that role and, and getting to be a part of her band is a really exciting part of, of what I'm, I'm doing right now. So there's a potential teaching moment here for anyone in the audience who is an aspiring performer that hasn't hit this point in their career yet. Blake, I'm curious as to this every eight weeks at Rockwood, is it as a result of, and for those of you in the audience that don't know this, there are a lot of times venues that will say, we're not going to book you on such and such a date because you will have just performed the night before or one week earlier. The bottom line being, they don't want people saying, well, I'm not going to pay to see this person on this night at this venue because I can see them the night before for you know half the cost or doing a free show one week earlier is there anything around this whole rockwood arrangement blake that has you going once every eight weeks or no um not really i mean the point that you raise is a good one and folks out there should certainly pay attention to that um but in my case i'm not interested in playing anywhere in new york city wow. uh, other than rockwood wow you know I, I wear rockwood music called pinstripes like that's my team and so that's my home and stage three, that beautiful room downstairs, you know, people just know that that's, that's the Blake Morgan spot. That's, that's where, that's where it's going to happen. So I'm not, I'm not really interested in doing a show elsewhere. There's no need. Um, and also when you, when you've got a long standing concert series, um, with the best, there's no reason to say, Hey, maybe I'll mix it up and play somewhere. Not yeah, as great. good point. You know, so it's, it's, uh, the, the, the eight week thing really it's really not about um, uh, market saturation from a, another venue standpoint it, it really has to do with two things which is that I'm, I'm always in the midst of doing lots of stuff producing records here in the studio I, I might be on tour 
Um, I might be running my label. I'm, so there's a lot of stuff that I'm doing um, uh, on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's a really involved show that I put together and it really takes a long time. It's not like, Hey, I've got a gig tomorrow. Cool. I'm excited. Like it, it really I takes see. me weeks to put that show together. Wow. And that's another reason that it feels like an event because it is, it certainly is for me. Um, and it's become so, you know, for the audience. So it's, it's just not something I'd be able to do once a month, you know, or, or, or even more frequently than that. Yeah. You know, again, like just telling you my schedule in the fall, um, yeah. you know, I'm squeezing in a trip to Helsinki and a trip to the <laughs> West coast. It's going to be about 10,000 miles of touring right there squeezed in between my two Rockwood shows. Mm. There would be no way for me to, to do it more than that. But when I do book, you know, uh, the upcoming season, you know, as, as we have, um, you know, that provides me with windows in between the Rockwood shows to go out and do something else or to lock myself away in the studio. Yeah, and get yeah, something. true, true. So clarify for me then, if someone came and saw you on September 23rd, are they going to see the same exact show that they're going to see if they came and saw you next May? And when I see same exact, I mean, okay, you know, set list. <laughs> I'm not talking about, you know, well, I'm going to be wearing something different or, you know, I might do my solo a little bit different in the second song. Set sure. list wise, is it going to be the same or no? No, none of the shows are the same. Wow. Um, uh, the set lists are not the same. Uh, the guests are not the same. Wow. Um, and, and again, sometimes it'll be me solo. Sometimes it might be me with a drummer. Sometimes it might be with a full band. Ah. Um, and then, of course, there's the special guest aspect. Okay. So, you know, you may want to come see me, you know, uh, because so-and-so is my special guest. Uh, but the, the truth is the audience, you know, each of these shows sells out, um, and they're going to continue to, which is a, a lovely luxury. Uh, but, but also, you know, we have a lot of people at the shows who come to every show. So a lot of times people will just buy season tickets to the whole thing. Wow. And again, I think, you know, if, if I did the same show every time, I think that people would like that and they would, you know, tell their friends and say, Hey, this is really cool. But I don't know that they would come back right. the way that they do with this structure. Right. Because, the secret of I think the secret of a residency or or of a tour, and maybe of a lot of things musically, is to provide you know the audience with three really clear things: quality, uh, uniqueness, and consistency. And consistency is often overlooked. So you know my shows are the same, meaning that they're they've got the same style, they've got the same general idea, mm -hmm. they've got the same swerve to them, uh, but they're purposefully different from each other. Um, for me, because I need to grow and I need to change through, you know, through each of these seasons, but also to benefit the audience so that they're, they know what they're going to expect on the one hand, but they also know that one of the things that they can expect is to be surprised. Yeah, I like it. I like it. You know, there's a lot of artists, a lot of artists who, if you ask them, why do you tour, they'll probably kind of shrug their shoulders and say, that's what artists do. I don't understand the question. I have to make money. And in your case, Blake, I just feel like as somebody who in the three years alone, just since you were last on the show, 80,000 miles of touring and to do that much traveling, you have to be enjoying performing and not just doing it out of necessity. I, I certainly do. I, I do enjoy performing, and um, uh, I'll, I'll underline your point even more, uh, even even more strongly, which is that it, it's actually 
it's it's not 80,000 miles. It's actually 130,000 miles. Wow. So it was 130,000 miles of touring over just about four and a half years, just right up until the, the pandemic hit. Wow. Um, and it's, it's about 200 shows over that over that span. And it's I did a month long tour in Germany and I've been to the UK several times. Uh, I mentioned a couple trips to Helsinki and uh, and then here in the States, I've done two East Coast tours and a big Midwest tour that kind of touched through the South and several West Coast tours. So uh, I, I do love doing it. And there's there's a part of what came about over those last you know four or five years. Uh, th- there's something about it that, that is that is genuinely surprising to me. I mentioned, you know, something you can expect and something that would surprise you. Well, that really surprised me. And it's really born from the Rockwood residency. Um, I, I just hadn't really planned on this being a period of my life when I would be performing so much and traveling so much to perform. Um, uh, but the Rockwood residency, um, I started that to kind of put myself on the schedule. I work with a lot of artists and I'm making a lot of really great music with a lot of really great folks. But there's a saying, the shoemaker's shoes always get fixed last. Yeah. And one of the things that I've always wrestled with as something of a musical polymath is making sure that I'm on the schedule with my own records and my own songs and, mm. and my own recording artist career. Um, and many of my music heroes are musical polymaths that I'm aspiring to, to be like, whether it's Daniel Lenoir or Jason Faulkner or John Bryan, folks like this. Um, and I've listened to interviews with them to kind of get some tutelage and, and they, they, they talk about that struggle as well about them you know being on their own schedule to do their own work uh, in the midst of doing their own work with other artists and I think what the Rockwood residency really did for me is it put me on the schedule so every eight weeks I have to do this show and it takes me a long time to put it together as I mentioned so whatever I'm doing at some point the panic sets in the healthy panic of like oh my god I gotta put this show together I'm sorry like can't hang out with you, can't work on your project, can't do this, I gotta clear the schedule, I really gotta do this now. Mm. And and it became, it was so rewarding so quickly, and and then it started opening up some business opportunities where I started getting opportunities to, to actually take that show that I've been doing here in New York on the road. And it's been really rewarding, um, not just from a career standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint to reconnect with my own national audience and my audience overseas who, you know, I just hadn't been performing in front of for a bunch of years. Um, and it, again, like it hadn't been a conscious decision. Like I won't do that over the next stretch. It just kind of happened sure. because I, I was working on all this other music. Um, so it, it, again, it put me on the schedule and it put me in front of the people who really actually wanted to come and see me play. Um, and and so it's been it's been really rewarding, um, again on an emotional level to kind of reconstitute my live audience uh, around the country and, and in Europe uh, over these you know four four or so four or five years. Um, so it, it is it is something I love doing and I do love traveling um, and I do love performing in people's in you know in, in people's hometowns and, I, and it's a it's an incredible way to see the world people always ask me like hey you want to go away for a weekend and i'm like no 
<laughs> I was just away. <laughs> I don't. You want to go? Don't you ever want to take a vacation? No, I don't. You traveled as much as I had over the last few years. You wouldn't want to either. When I when I have any time off, I want to be here in Manhattan. You know, so um, uh, it, it's really been a, a one of those wonderful miracles um, that that can happen in one's career every so often, which is the miracle of surprise, where I I, I got myself into this with the Rockwood show. And I, I really had no idea where it was going to lead to. And it's led to somewhere really special for me. And I think it's actually, it's really kind of reframed my entire career. Uh, it's just not something I had expected. It's a wonderful result. And listeners, I certainly want you to go back and listen to my first interview with Blake. I'll put a link on the show page for this episode at nhte.net so you can hear what he and I had discussed back on 208. I'm also going to put it in a link to episode 381, so five weeks ago when my guest was David Franz, and a similar conversation because as Blake is very much demonstrating to you, and it's been like this for a while, of course, but you know the economy has changed such that there's very, 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 very few artists who that's all they do. And you're hearing Blake Morgan, who is working with other people and runs his own record label and has his own artist career. And David Franz got to a point where he said, I've been working with all these other people and doing all this music. I've never even released anything of my own. And he talked on that interview about, I just had to finally make time for finally putting out my own solo artist project. Blake, also since your prior appearance on Now Hear This Entertainment, there has been about 15 records with as many artists. Who are some of the folks that you've been working with? Yeah, I, I've I've made so much music uh, in addition to my new record, which I'm actually in the middle of mixing right now. I'm, I'm talking from the recording studio where we're, we're mixing the record. But um, gosh, I, I've I, I just finished um, mastering this great record uh, by a, an artist named Electronic Device. I mixed Paul Freeman's new record. Uh, I mentioned Yonata's record, Here Be Dragons, which I produced and recorded and mixed and mastered. My friend David Poe, who I am touring with in October, he's got a new record coming out, and I mastered his new single. Uh, I'm about to start making new records with singer-songwriter Miles East and my dear friend Chris Barron, lead singer of Spin Doctors. He's going to be making a solo record with me. Um, so that's just some of the names that come to mind. But it's it's uh, I, I always seem to be in the middle of making somewhere between two and three records with folks. Mm. And we just kind of chip away at them as we go. Um, and, uh, and then of course there's all the performance in the midst of that. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been somewhere like 15, 18 records since the last time I talked to you, but, uh, it's not quantity folks. It it is quality. And the thing that I, I most treasure about all the people that I work with is I don't work with anyone I, I don't want to. And I don't work with anyone who doesn't inspire me. And uh, I, I don't think I've ever made a record with anybody who, who really didn't come away from the experience um, thrilled uh, and, and uh, moved by the process um, where they didn't express to me afterwards that they felt that they were a better musician than they were when they started making the record. And that's really rewarding as a producer. Very much so. Very much so. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York by recording artist, multi-instrumentalist, and record producer Blake Morgan, who is also the founder and owner of the global company ECR Music Group, which we will talk about shortly. On the show page for this episode at nhte.net, I will put the following link. 
At ecrmusicgroup.com, there is a menu option called Artists, which is how you can navigate to Blake. Once you do, you'll see links on that page to connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There are also links there to listen to Blake's music, which you can purchase and download from most major online music retailers and streaming services. Keep up with Blake online so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live. He's mentioned several live shows that he'll be doing later this year, so you want to keep up with him for that, as well as for information on when his new release comes out, which we will also talk about shortly. Incidentally, if you have not noticed, there seems to be a trend in the podcasting world of using the word follow, moving away from the word subscribe so as to not imply cost. Some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear Blake Morgan. Thank you, but I hope you and even other listeners who are new will check out other episodes of my show, and of course that you'll hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven plus years, so do check out some of the 380 plus episodes that have preceded this one, and stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. Blake, in our discussions building towards today's interview, you told me that, quote, the label changed too, and how we release music is 180 degrees away from how we did three years ago, end quote. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, there there are changes always uh, happening in the music world and, and in every corner of the world. Um, but when there's a global emergency, sometimes it foments even uh, quicker change or, or the need for quicker adjustments. And um, running an independent record label in New York City um, is both exciting and challenging. Uh, but things really have been changing in the releasing music world <laughs> over the last few years. And, and then the pandemic really kind of popped the top of the ketchup bottle off. Um, and a couple examples, you know, prior to the pandemic, social media was, was really the main thing. And now it's the only thing. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the pivots that we felt we needed to make um, from a label standpoint was we had to examine where our investments were really going to be in promoting the music that we believe in. Um, so uh, one example of, of how we had to change was really examining how we were going to go after music press. And I love music press. You know, I, I grew up reading Rolling Stone, reading Billboard every day. It's been an honor to be in some of those magazines. Um, but uh, the, the reality is, and it's a sad reality, is that music press is, is really over. And um, before people who are listening to the show say, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm here to tell you it's it's really true, and I'll show you why. Um, even if you can get uh, a, a great feature, a great interview, or a great some great coverage for a record, what these publications invariably do is they will talk about your record if you're lucky in a reasonably coherent article if you're lucky, and then they'll post a YouTube link to maybe the single that you've just released or something from your new record. Um, and then they will let you know when it's up and what they expect you to do, which is what you would do is you would tell your own social media audience to go to that place and read the article, uh, cause it's promoting your record. Mm -hmm. But what you've just done is you've sent all of your fans and all of your followers over to a publication driving traffic to their website 
that they can then sell click-through advertising based on the amount of clicks and visits that they get. So they're, they're basically selling advertising off of the people you've just brought to their website. And the whole reason you're promoting the record is that you're hoping people will actually listen to it. But if they go to this site and they read a few words that they've written about it and then listen to a song on YouTube, what they end up doing is they generally stop there. Um, sure, super fans will go on from there, but the people that you're trying to turn on are always the new people outside yeah. the tent that you could have reached anyway, right? Yeah. And so what you've done is you've just funneled people to a third-party website where you're making money for them, and then people are clicking on a YouTube link where you won't make any money. And also, if they feel like they've listened to it at YouTube, they, they, they feel like they've listened to it. Thereby... Uh, sort of skirting all of the streaming services, which is where the real battle is at. As a recording artist and as a record label, what you're now really trying to do is you're trying to drive traffic directly to streaming services so that you can ping their algorithms, um, maybe get some editorial coverage there inside the, the, you know, the gated community of that, of that <laughs> streaming service, and also drive up your numbers. Because the reality in 2021, and I say this as a music rights activist, the reality is that my power as a recording artist comes from my numbers. And if I don't have numbers, I don't have anything, right? And that's true for live performance. You know, it's about, it's about rear ends and seats, folks. That's what it's about. And when it comes to my power as a recording artist in the world, that simply is tied to my numbers. And today, those numbers aren't record sold. It's how many streams you get, how many streams you get at each of the platforms and why and where they're at. So if you're funneling your traffic to, uh, you know, to Pitchfork or Brooklyn Vegan, two music sites I really love. If, but if you're funneling your audience to them, you're actually hurting your own chances of building your career, unfortunately, because you're creating an end around to what you actually need, which is that you need people to go directly to the streaming services and pre-save your single, pre-save your record, and then download it or stream it, add it to your collection so you get those saves. It's those numbers that matter the most. So it's, it's a really sad day, um, honestly, in music where music press used to be the gatekeepers because those are the folks who knew something. Those are the those are the cool kids in high school who grew up loving music <laughs> and maybe didn't play an instrument, but you know they all wanted to be Lester Bangs or someone else who was cool, right? <laughs> and really write about music and really care about it and really critique it in an effective way. But the truth is the gatekeepers now are the streaming services. And although that's a game that I loathe, it's a game that I have to play. Yeah, I was going to ask you, as a business, how did ECR Music Group pivot to say, okay, we're no longer putting this big emphasis on the music press. Where did you shift your focus to instead? Well, what we did is, you know, the way we did it was by doing it, which is by taking all of the resources and, and the, uh, the the financial investment in our own PR or hiring third-party PR in an attempt to, you know, in an attempt to appeal to the music press gods where maybe we'd get a few reviews for a single or a record that we're releasing. Um, which then wouldn't amount to anything. We'd get some cool press quotes, but it wouldn't drive it wouldn't drive anything for that record. We take all that investment, and now what we do is we spend it on marketing and advertising okay. directly to listeners. Okay. What a more corporate uh, record label owner would say is, 
we're, we're investing in end users, but I can't utter the word end user without <laughs> getting slightly sick to my stomach. So I'm going to use the word listener, which is more accurate and a little bit more human. Okay. But that's the thing. It's, you know, um, we can target folks, you know, I, I mentioned Yanta earlier. So what, what we would do with something, you know, with, with her record or a single from, you know, from her catalog is we target uh, fan bases of folks who we think would be into her music. So we, we might target Bat for Lashes and Florence and the Machine and St. Vincent and try to appeal directly to those listeners with video and with um, excellent photography and great, great previews to the music that we're releasing and just go directly to them. Um, and it's a much more effective investment because we're not draining all of the, all of the momentum uh, from what we're doing by pushing towards a third party site, yeah. we're pushing towards a second party site, which is a streaming service that invariably doesn't pay what it should and doesn't treat music makers particularly fairly. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, uh, until this changes, and I'm someone who's working hard to change it, um, but until it does, this is the game. Okay. And as a, as a record label owner, I have a responsibility to my artists and to myself because I'm on my label too. Yeah. And I have a responsibility to give this music the best chance it can possibly have in this world at this time with this game. So I can quit the game or I can try to win the game for my music. And I've decided to do the latter. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that we try to do it. Yeah, nicely said. And I want to clarify a couple things for the listeners out there who are artists and who say, well, but these music press, these music blogs, et cetera, et cetera, number one, when Blake is talking about YouTube videos that they're going to put in there, a lot of times what they're doing is they're not grabbing your YouTube video. So as much as you might say, it'll help my YouTube channel, chances are it won't because a lot of times they'll grab, if you've ever noticed this, folks, you do a YouTube search and sometimes it will bring you up as a topic and not as your artist channel. So don't think that it's going to help you with your YouTube channel because that's probably not the case. And the other part is I recently wrote a blog on the website where I was answering the question, how long should my song, my blog, my video, my podcast be? And one of the points I made in there with regards to a blog is nowadays you see sites that will actually have a little notation on there of how long it's going to take you to read that blog. It's a four-minute read. It's an eight-minute read. It's a seven-minute read, whatever. And this is a rhetorical question, but how many times do you look at that and say, oh, six minutes, I don't want to read something that long? So if the blog is not going to get written, read in its entirety, not to mention that song down at the bottom is never going to get seen, not to mention, as Blake said, it's sending you to the wrong place. Anyways, you can understand his point about why ECR Music Group decided, okay, that's not where we want to be putting all of our attention and trying to drive traffic anymore. Even though we may not be big fans of the streaming game, that's what it is right now. So it's more valuable for us to go there instead of what we've been doing because it's just not it's just broken a lot of things are broken but the one that's less broken is the one that's going to actually generate some potential listens that's right and and the the you know just i'll just put a button on what you just said which is that you know at streaming services the fact that they list how many streams songs have had you know if i could fix one thing outside of remuneration that's the thing that i would fix at streaming services it's mm. totally ludicrous it has absolutely no merit whatsoever which is why apple music almost universally is preferred by music makers to Spotify because Apple Music doesn't actually put how many times a song has been streamed next to it. But Blake, you're crazy. I, that's one of the reasons I know what to listen to. Well, you know what, folks? It shouldn't be. 
Because if you came to New York and I took you on a field trip to the Museum of Modern Art, and right next to every painting, there was a counter on the wall that told you how many people had visited that painting since mm. it had been put on the wall. Wow. You know what everybody would do? They would look at the counter before they looked at the painting. Wow. And that's, by the way, I just described YouTube because that's what we do. And if you took the counter away from YouTube, no one would ever post cat videos again. What's the point? <laughs> the whole point of the cat video is that it has 100 million views and it's a stupid cat video, right? And I love cats, by the way. But, but that's, the, that's the whole thing. And in fact, if you did put a counter next to every painting at the Museum of Modern Art here in Manhattan, you'd have to completely change the entire map of the museum because everybody would simply go to Starry Night and Guernica and they'd never visit any other painting because yeah, yeah. those would be the two that had the most views. So that's a battle that we fight at streaming services anyway. However, that's the battle we have to fight because we have to try to win an audience for our music. Yeah, and of course, we all know that it's happening on Spotify, too, where it's not even going to start displaying the number of streams that you've gotten on a song until you hit a 1,000. And so people are judging it and saying, well, this must not be any good because I don't see counts for any of this artist's songs. And it doesn't mean that the songs are bad. It just means that that person is not discovered yet or, or hasn't gotten the exposure that the A-listers think that you're comparing them to, which is very unfair uh, we need to move on and trust me folks if you go back and listen to my interview with Blake on episode 208 you'll hear some other opinions about streaming from him there Blake there was another statement you made to me as part of the preparations for this interview you said quote primarily my view of how all these facets of my musical life intersect has elementally changed since we last spoke in kind of a I'm getting used to the idea that what I'd shot at for my career or always said I was shooting at has arrived and it makes me equally excited and nervous, end quote. So I'm really interested to hear you elaborate on that. Well, there are times uh, that one's own career surprises one, and um, I'm in a moment like that right now. And I think that the surprise is um, I've kind of woken up to discover that I, I have the career that I've wanted, but I don't know that I always knew that I wanted that career. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm surprised um, uh, at having arrived here, um, and yet I was always trying to arrive here. And that is both exciting and, uh, and scary. Because, um, you know, I, I'm a recording artist and songwriter, and I'm a record producer and a, and a studio rat. <laughs> and, and I'm also a label owner and I've wanted to be all three of those things. And um, uh, it, it's an enormous challenge to, to, for me to, to try to do what I do musically um, at a high level. And uh, there, aren't a, there, there isn't a real blueprint for what it is I'm trying to do. Um, but I, I mentioned a hero of mine, uh, Jason Faulkner, who is a wonderful recording artist and producer and has made records with Paul McCartney and he's been in Beck's band for years and he's been in St. Vincent's band for years and um, he's he's something of a of a beacon for me and I actually listened to an interview that he did uh, this past year um, where he was asked you know he had a, he has a new record coming out and uh, it had been a little while since he'd released another record and um, why why had there why had it taken a while was was the basic question and he gave a really he gave an answer that was so simple that really meant a lot to me. It was really um, it was it was it, it stayed with me. 
Um, and what he talked about was that he, it's not that he really wears so many different hats musically, it's that he has to have these alter egos to do what he does. And that concept of alter egos, I just never really thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true, because when I'm performing with Yanata in her band, I, I have to tell you, that's a killer band. Like, I can't bring up the rear. I have to excel in that mm. band. And also, it's music I really care about. She's an artist I really care about. And I spent a year making that record. So I want to come through. And there's a reason I'm in that band, because I can do certain things that would be valuable to the team. But for me to perform at the level that I feel I require to do that, you know, I can't do that show and then get back to my hotel room and just get back to that song of mine I'm working on. Mm. Not because I'm exhausted, but because I'm not in that head at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. That's not at all where I am on on my my on my map. And when I'm working in the studio, um, mixing a record, I can't think about playing guitar. When I'm playing guitar, I can't think about the the right mastering uh, concept for the single that we're going to be doing. I can't do that. I have to stay in that lane and really pull myself to a high level. And it's really the, the uh, an exciting but frightening challenge in my <laughs> musical decathlete persona, you know. Um, but I've 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 at times thought about trying to do less. And I've even at times done less. And I invariably come back to this place that I'm in right now, um, which is trying to balance them all. But again, I've always thought of it in terms of balance. I've thought in terms of I wear all these hats. I, I definitely want to try to be a renaissance man in music. I don't want to be a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> but it was when Faulkner mentioned you know, the concept of alter egos. Like I have to become this persona to do this thing. Not not outwardly, but with myself. I have to have a meeting with myself and say, okay, we're going to do this now. We're in yeah, this lane. Yeah. Um, it's not to the exclusion of other lanes. It's just that you can only really drive in one lane on the highway at a time. Yeah, well you know? said. That's what those, well said. That's what, those li- that's what those lines, those dotted lines are for. <laughs> folks, you know, right? So just a fi- couple of final questions. First is the new album of your own that you're working on. You said that it's being mastered right now, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, mixing, I'm mixing it right now. Okay, so what is the timetable for that? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure yet. Um, uh, I, I do know that we're going to release several singles from the record before the record's out uh, in its entirety. So uh, um, I, I, would, I would expect, I think I can tell people safely to expect uh, new music from that record coming out this fall. Sure. Okay. Okay. And then similarly, what is the update these days with the I Respect Music movement? Yeah, you know, it's uh I think it's gonna be an exciting time now as things open up. And I, I actually don't mean opening up um from COVID from a you know out in public standpoint, but I, I do mean opening up from the disaster of the pandemic and uh the disaster that uh in Washington of the last four years. I've gone to Capitol Hill many times um, speaking to members of Congress uh, about issues that face music makers in this country. And and over the last four years, it's been very, very difficult to do that because of the leadership in Washington at the time. So when when things are burning down politically, um, it's very difficult to, to try to convince lawmakers that they should take time out of their busy schedule um, actually 
trying to save democracy. Uh, it's, it's difficult to convince them that they should take time away from that to talk about musicians who are being treated unfairly, <laughs> even though for us it's it's absolutely critical. Yeah, there have been some victories that that music makers have won um, in over the you know over the last two or three years. The Music Modernization Act has some wonderful things in it, has some not so great things in it, but it does have some wonderful things in it that are going to help music makers. Um, and um, so there there have been there have been some victories, but I'm really looking forward to being able to put the pedal to the metal now that we have some sane leadership in Washington and hopefully now that the, the temperature of the country is, is cooling down just a little bit so that so that some of these issues can get some airtime. <laughs> well, we're going to close today with another one of Blake's original songs, one called Better Angels. Before I let you go and I play that song, Blake, share with the audience all about this song, if you would, please. This is probably my best known song. Uh, it's from a record of mine called Burning Daylight. And uh, it's one that I have not performed for several years. And at the live stream from Rockwood that we spoke about earlier, uh, I, I performed this song for the first time in a long time. And it was really, um, it, was, uh, it was a memorable way to kind of bring that song back into my repertoire. Um, it's also a song that was recorded on a record that I produced for Leslie Gore um, oh. called Ever Since. And, um, the great late Leslie Gore was my godmother and uh, I produced her her final record, um, and uh, she does a beautiful version of of this song of her own, which uh, I hope your listeners will check out as well. Wow, outstanding, outstanding! Well, Blake, great to have you back on the show. Best of luck with everything that you have coming up this fall. A lot of live shows, and of course, the new record. And we'll continue to follow you online, and just continued best with ECR Music Group as well. You certainly have your hands full with so many different projects that you're doing. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's always a pleasure. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to recording artist, multi-instrumentalist, and record producer Blake Morgan. Although I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net, again, at ecrmusicgroup.com, there is a menu option called Artists, which is how you can navigate to Blake. Once you do, you will see links on that page to connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There are also links there to listen to Blake's music, which you can purchase and download from most major online music retailers and streaming services. Keep up with Blake online so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live, as well as to get information on his new music that you heard him describe that will be coming out this year. Let me also repeat that some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear Blake, and I thank you for that, but I hope you and even other listeners who are new-ish will check out other episodes of my show, and of course that you will hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven plus years, so do check out some of the 380 plus episodes that have preceded this one, and stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. For now, that will do it for episode 386. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Blake Morgan. This is the one he just talked about called Better Angels.
still 